grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. A large survey was done recently of unchurched or de-churched people age 18 to 44. Now, these are people who do not believe or hold to the Christian faith. That's who was surveyed. About 9,000 of them. 900,000 of them. 75% may have gone occasionally to church when they were young, but stopped going. 25% have never even been in a church in their life. And they were asked, what are their objections to Christianity? Sorry for the small print, but here they are. Intolerance. Some Christian groups are too intolerant. 55% of respondents said that. Sexuality. The Christian faith and I have different views on social issues like abortion or gay marriage. 50% responded that way. Politics. I don't like how some Christian groups meddle in politics. 49%. Morality. Many Christians are hypocrites. 45% responded like that. Religion. There are lots of religions and I'm not sure one has to be the right way. 42%. Equality. Christians believe that all people are not created equal. 29%. And then authority. I don't share the same beliefs that the Christian faith tells me that I should. 28%. Now if you look at this list, you could say that the singular issue in this modern age is intolerance and it shows itself in six different areas. There is intolerance in the realm of sexuality, politics, morality, religion, equality, and authority. So when one of these areas comes to the forefront in our culture, they explode on social media and in the news. When these unchurched or dechurched people were asked, what are your thoughts when I say the word Christian, Christianity, or church? This is a phone conversation. All of the respondents were very negative with not very nice words about the Christian faith. You hear a little bit of these sentiments aired publicly today, but privately in a telephone survey, the comments were very negative and most were not very tolerant. Now, we could get defensive, especially since people would never be allowed to talk about other groups in such negative ways. But we shouldn't get defensive. We should seek to understand and respond in a loving way. And that's what I want to talk about today. Remember, many people these days have no church experience at all and so they get their knowledge of church, and this is what the survey brought out, from movies, TV, late-night comedians, or YouTube rants. Many younger people have never, ever been inside of a church. I'll never forget one year when I started first-year confirmation class, first class, a boy walked into the church. I met him in the narthex in the foyer and he asked me 
What's that big room there? And he pointed to the sanctuary. What's that used for? Yeah. So don't get offended because people often have no clue about church or they are getting their information from not the best sources. For such people, we need to act like tour guides. Act as a friend and explain the things we believe with gentleness and respect. Now, many people do not even know any Christians. That was another question that was asked. Name some Christians you know. This survey revealed when asked to name Christians, they mentioned some television personalities. Joel Osteen, Robert Schuller, Jimmy Baker, Tim Tebow, Pat Robertson. <laughs> some think that Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or Scientology or even Wicca are part of the Christian faith. Some de-church people had very religious upbringings with lots of rules and no relationship. And rules without relationship results in rebellion. So, let's pause and think about how we are raising our children and our grandchildren that it's with lots of love and lots of relationship. And the goal is to seek their good, not just to impose our will. And a lot of de-churched had a bad experience with a Christian. So they base their whole understanding of the Christian faith on one bad experience. And in those cases... You and I need to be like Jesus. And what was Jesus most like? The number one word in Jesus' life was compassion. He was described, he had compassion. And we need to believe in and practice compassion. I want to understand what you've been through so I can have some empathy and some sympathy, some understanding of your negative experience. Now, I would say on behalf of all Christians that we know we're supposed to be compassionate, just like Jesus. And I would say on behalf of all Christians, this is one thing, if you really think about it, we fail miserably at. Just think a little bit in your own life. Are you really always, always compassionate? Whew. Yeah. And we know that, though. We fail miserably at this, and most of us are well aware of our shortcomings of being compassionate. So today I want to look at the issue of tolerance there's an old tolerance and there's a new tolerance. Over the course of time, the definition of the word has changed. And that's what we struggle with. So Christians tend to think in terms of what we would call the old tolerance. Non-Christians today think in terms of what's called the new tolerance. The old tolerance was that, I'll give you an example, morality was like math. 
So if you are a math teacher, you can't walk into your classroom and say, in my opinion, according to my experience, here's what I think the answer is. Because in math, there is a right answer and there is a whole bunch of wrong answers. So the belief was that morality was like math and math is fixed. And math is unchanging. Math doesn't vary from culture to culture or from generation to generation. And so in math, the assumption is that there is an answer and, if, and that if you and I disagree, we can't both be right. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe we're both wrong. Maybe you're wrong, maybe I'm wrong. The good thing is that we tolerate one another, we put up with one another, and we dialogue about it, because maybe you're right and I need to change, or maybe I'm right and you need to change, or we're both wrong and maybe we both need to change. Now the new tolerance says that we're both right. I'm right, and you're right, and I celebrate you, and you celebrate me. So it's not just enough to put up with me when you think I'm wrong. You're not really allowed even to think I'm wrong. And it's not enough for you to just let me do my thing. You need to celebrate my thing and need to celebrate your thing. I need to celebrate your thing. That's why our culture has these two buzzwords all the time. Celebrate and pride. For all kinds of issues and causes, you should be proud of your answer, and I should celebrate it, and I should be proud of my answer, and you should celebrate it. That is the new definition of tolerance today. It's gone from thinking... It's gone from, I think you're wrong, but I'm going to put up with you and we're going to have to shout it out until one of us is right, to neither of us gets to say the other even has the possibility of being wrong. Now this kind of thinking just didn't happen by accident. It started way back in the 60s during the sexual revolution, and from that we got such beliefs. There is no right or wrong. There is no moral standard. There is no objectivity. There's nothing that would qualify as truth. There is nothing beyond the self. The highest authority in my life is me. Therefore, the student then needs to get in touch with their feelings, their perspectives, their ideas, their conclusions without judging anyone else. I don't know. Old and new tolerance. Why do we assume today that something new is automatically better than something that's old? If Christianity is a few thousand years old and the biggest movement in the history of the world and has led to the greatest human flourishing 
Why would we look at it and say, it's old, it's outdated? Maybe it's just proven. Here's a quote. Every individual or group accepts some beliefs, practices, and people in various ways and rejects others. Every culture says yes to some things and no to other things. So we're all tolerant and intolerant in different ways. And I think that's true. When someone says some Christian groups are too intolerant, then we need to find out more specifically the nature of the complaint. What groups? What are they intolerant of? How do they express their intolerance? Is this intolerance good or bad? Should we tolerate perspectives? What do you think? Should we tolerate perspectives? Yes. No one will agree on everything. How many of you are married? You've come to this conclusion already. You and your wife may have different perspectives on things. You tolerate it. How many of you have ever changed your mind? Right? We tolerate perspectives. Yes, we believe in freedom of thought and freedom of religion and freedom of press and freedom of assembly. People will disagree. But what I would say is two things that are opposed cannot simultaneously be true. For example, the atheist says, there's no God. And lots of religions say there is a God. Either there's a God or there isn't a God. It's like if I said there's a black SUV parked outside in the church parking lot. Well, either there is or there isn't. If it's an objective statement of fact, it can't simultaneously be true and false. There is an answer. How about this? Should we tolerate practices? What do you think? Well, it depends. In the old tolerance, what I think you're doing is wrong, and I'll tell you it's wrong and why I disagree with it. In the new tolerance, I celebrate you. I show up for your march. I like it on social media. Well, if I think it's wrong, then no, I can't do the new tolerance. I can't do that. I mean, should we make a, a vegetarian eat meat? No. A Muslim woman who's wearing a head covering, should we force her to remove it? No. What about someone who likes to smoke? on an airplane no used to be yes but now it's no see the problem is none of us lives on an island all by ourselves if you're the only authority in your life and they're the only authority in their life at some point your lives are going to meet and this is the problem we have to get along we have to live together. Should we tolerate people? This one's not complicated. It's not a trick question. Should we tolerate people? Yeah, we have to. God made people. God loves people. We're supposed to love people. The Bible says, 
love your enemies. The Bible says, love your neighbors. The Bible says, love people. So if you end up in a conversation about tolerance and you're discussing different perspectives because you believe they're valid, why not discuss this perspective? If you want to be tolerant, let's look at this perspective along with all the others. That's fair. So if we are truly being tolerant and diverse and looking at multiple perspectives, we always should consider God's perspective. Now here is how some people reason and get this. Listen carefully. If you believe the Bible, then you believe in this principle that God is love. True statement. So we're on a truth path, we think. Here's the next statement. And if God is love, that means God is tolerant. Oops. We might talk about that next week, I think. Is God really tolerant? And if God is tolerant, that means God doesn't judge. Oops. Two wrongs out of three statements. Therefore, if you love, you can't judge. But that's how people think today, and it's false. Tolerance says there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing that needs to be forgiven. And there's nothing that needs to change. Love says there is something wrong with you. There are things that need to be forgiven, and you can change. Love changes a person in a way that tolerance cannot. If you love someone, you want the best for them, right? Classic example, the parent. You've got kids. You don't tolerate everything. You love them enough to seek their best. You don't just say, look, I'm in no position to judge. There's no authority in this household. I don't have any aspirations or hope for your future. I don't have any judgment of your choices. You do whatever you want and I'll celebrate that. No. Parents say, I love you. And I love you so much to their kids. I'll take you as you are, but I love you too much to let you remain as you are. And this is where the Bible talks about God as our Heavenly Father. And what a father does is exercise loving authority to seek the best for his child. And we live in a culture that knows nothing about God's authority and in large part, dare I say it, it's because many haven't even had a father that exercised any loving authority to seek their best. So yes, God is love, but that love does not mean tolerance that makes no value judgments. In fact, it's very clear that God loves us enough to show us what is right and what is good and what is best. I got more to say on this subject, but for now let me leave you with some good news. God sees some things as inequity, rebellion, and sin, and not just preference, taste, and perspective. God allows our bad behavior to continue. Our own faults and our failings 
not because he's tolerant, but because he's patient. And there's a big, big difference. We celebrate the patience of God today. The steadfast love of the Lord. His patience never ceases. If God were merely tolerant, as the world wants him to be, Jesus would not have needed to die in our place for your sins and mine because he'd just tolerate them. He would not be holy. We would not be unholy. There would be no failure on our part that needs fixing if God were merely tolerant. But in compassion, mercy, and love, God came as Jesus Christ for what purpose? To live the life that we could not live and die the death that we should have died. God shows patience not because we do not need to change, but because we are stubborn and slow to change. And Peter says it this way, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise as some count slowness, but patient toward you. Not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience, his steadfast love, far exceeds the new tolerance. And I'm so glad that God is not wishy-washy, arbitrary, uncommitted, all talk, little action, as so often is part of the new tolerance. I'm so glad that God is patient. And as a loving father, he's been patient with me. His steadfast love is reliable. It's always been there for me. When I do wrong and I sin, he continues to forgive me and help me to do better maybe even to be more like him, compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love and patient with people. Just as God is patient with me, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So when you get into a discussion today about tolerance or intolerance, make sure you talk about God's patience because that is a witness and that is God and his love for you and for everyone else. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.